0: the title of today's message, Keep Calm, Jesus is Coming. For the final sermon in this series, we're going to take two passages as our text. We'll read the first, which is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives <clears throat> in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dr. George Sweeting, <clears throat> the former pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, also the chancellor Uh, former chancellor of Moody Bible Institute, once made this estimation that more than one-fourth of the Bible is predictive prophecy. Both the Old and New Testaments are filled with prophecy about the return of Jesus Christ. Over 1,800 references appear in the Old Testament. Seventeen Old Testament books give prominence to the theme of the return of Jesus Christ. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 300 references to the Lord's return. That's one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament gives reference to the return of the Lord. Twenty-three of the 27 New Testament books refer to the return of the Lord. And for every prophecy in the first uh, of the first coming of Christ, there are eight prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ. So the Bible is filled with prophecy regarding the return of the Lord. Each and every time that I preach about the second coming, I try to remind the audience that there's two things that we should understand. That the the return of Jesus Christ, if you will, is in two stages. The the first thing I want you to understand is that the second coming, the first part of the second coming, is the rapture. The rapture is when Jesus comes for his saints. Now, if you've ever heard me preach, you already know that. The second part of the second coming takes place literally seven years after the first part, after the time of tribulation and preceding the millennium, the time when Jesus will rule on this earth. This is the second part of the second coming, the first part being the rapture when he comes for his saints, the second part being the return when he comes with his saints, when Jesus returns to this earth with his saints, with me and with you if you're saved. For you and me, remaining calm in a troubled time means that we are looking for Jesus to come for his saints. The message of the second coming of Christ is a disturbing message to some people. Some people are afraid of the idea of the return of Jesus Christ but it is exactly what is needed when a soul is troubled and this morning we're going to look at three aspects of the coming of Jesus Christ we're going to see the information of Christ coming and we're going to see the inspiration of Christ coming and we're going to see the implications of Christ coming first of all the information of Christ coming. Now, I told you that there would be two texts today, and here is the second text or the second part of the text, and this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others uh, do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus' God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not, <coughs> will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will arise first. Then we who are alive, Who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, there are a few things that we should know about this aspect of the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, I think there's three things that we should know. The first thing is that this aspect of the coming of Jesus Christ, or the rapture, is imminent. It is an imminent thing. Here's what imminent means. It means that there's nothing that needs to happen on the world stage for the rapture of the church to take place. There's nothing. It's imminent. It can happen any moment. It could happen while we're still in this service. It could happen as you're having lunch today. It could happen in the night. It could happen in the morning. It could happen at literally any time. The rapture is waiting on no world development. The rapture is not waiting for one sign to be fulfilled. The rapture is not waiting for one requirement uh, to be met. The rapture of the church is imminent. You say, well, Pastor Ray, what about the signs of the Bible? What about those things that are written in the Bible that talk about the signs of His coming? And you are correct. They are in there. They are absolutely in there. However, do you remember that I said to you that the second coming of Jesus Christ can be thought of in two ways, when Jesus comes for His saints and when Jesus comes with His saints? Those signs that you see mentioned in the Scripture are signs in reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes with his saints. Let me show you some of those as given by Jesus himself. Matthew 24 and verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them. Now here's what he said. See that no one All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that all of those prophecies that are to be fulfilled are to be fulfilled prior to the return of Jesus Christ with his saints. You say, well, Pastor Ray, I already see some of these prophecies happening. I already see these things developing. What does that mean? That means that the rapture is even closer than we might think, though it is imminent. When you see signs of that which is going to happen after the uh, rapture has taken place and the tribulation time has taken place, that means that the, as far as our calendar is concerned, the rapture is that much closer. The rapture occurs before these developments are complete. Now, if you're disturbed because you see some of them already taking shape, here's what you should do. Two things. First of all, remember, as we said, that the rapture occurs in advance of the point that Jesus, of Jesus standing again on the Mount of Olives. Here's the second thing. You should be saved and know it. You should make absolutely positively sure that you are a born again believer. We'll say more about that in a moment. The rapture of the church should be reassuring. It shouldn't be disturbing. It shouldn't be something that, that, that tears us up, although we should understand <clears throat> that the rapture of the church is imminent. It can happen any moment. Here's the second thing to understand. Not only is it imminent, but it's immediate. Now, here's what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. I used to tell people that this is the nursery verse where it says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We ought to put that uh, at the, uh, <clears throat> the door of our nursery. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now think about that for a moment. The coming of Jesus Christ, it happens in the twinkling of an eye. How do you measure that? How do you measure how fast, how immediate the twinkling of an eye is. I'm not even sure you can measure it. But that's how suddenly the coming of Christ for His church, for the saved, is going to be. It is sudden. It is instant. It is immediate. But I want to tell you this, there is an order to it. There's an order in the way that the rapture is going to occur. Well, then it's not uh, immediate. Oh, it's, it's absolutely immediate it's in the twinkling of an eye. Here is the order of its occurrence, First Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now there is the order of it. Instantaneous as it may be, the order is for those who have left their earthly bodies to reunite, reunite with them in the clouds and to receive their glorified bodies. Now, here's what that means. That means that the people that you have buried and you have loved who are, uh, who are saved and who are part of the body of Christ, it means that when the rapture comes, when the Lord shouts and when the, the trumpet blows, when the rapture takes place, here's what's going to happen what's going to happen is immediately, instantaneously, wherever those bodies are buried, they are going to be reassembled, literally instantly reassembled, and to meet their spirit that's already gone to be with the Lord. And they will receive then a glorified body. You say, well, preacher, how can something like that really happen? Well, here's the way it happens. Do you remember in the word the Bible says that Jesus, that God said, Let there be light? And what happened after that? Well, there was light. So, boy, I bet that took a while. No, it just said there was light. God said it, and it was. You, you say, You you mean to tell me that God can literally find light the people and sort out their souls in heaven and they can come together and and the glorified the right spirit can get with the right body. Oh yes. Oh yes. Absolutely. Abs there's not gonna be any mix up. You're not gonna see me in heaven and say, Hey Brother Larry, how are you doing? And I say, I'm I'm Randy Ray. there's a mix up the worst thing happened, I got Larry's body. <clears throat> no, no, no. It's instantaneous. It's immediate. You, you say, and, and this is not a message about how people dispose of their bodies at the end of this life, but the reality is it doesn't matter whether you were buried, whether you were uh, buried at sea, where you were cremated. It doesn't really matter because the, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the shout, <clears throat> the shout is going to reassemble everybody immediately. There's not going to be any waiting, no holds barred. Everybody is immediately reassembled. Now think about that. Everybody. You say, well, then what about us? Well, that goes on for the remainder. And and once the the dead in Christ have been reunited, then we we have a glorified body that we unite with, and we're caught up to be with uh, the Lord. And, and it's a, a tremendous, a tremendous day when we are caught up with the Lord instantaneously, and our bodies are glorified. I like what my sister used to—by the way, that means our bodies are perfect. They are supernatural. I believe they're like the earthly body of Jesus Christ when He walked on this earth. That's what I believe. Now, you can believe whatever you want to. That's what I believe. I, I have uh, six sisters, and, and I had two brothers. One of them passed away a long time ago. But, <clears throat> but uh, one of my sisters, has, she has pretty severe dementia at this point. And uh, she's 81, I think, and I love her so much. But uh, my sister's always been a heavy woman. She's, she's, she's never had a time in her life when she was thin. I, I mean, she was a big baby when she was born and just got bigger from there. She's a, she is and the sweetest, most gracious, talented woman that you would ever know. If you knew my sister Jean, you, you'd love her today with Alzheimer's. You'd, you'd love her no matter what. But she used to say this. When I would preach about this subject, she'd say to me afterwards, she'd say, Randy, that is so exciting for me. I said, is it Jean? She said, yes. I just hope I can feel that fat slip off as I go up. (laughs) We're going to have glorified bodies. And I'm going to tell you something. We may get to heaven and find out that fat was in. I'll be a little ticked off uh, if, if that's the way that it is. Look, don't forget that the body, the, the Bible that teaches you about the rapture and teaches you about the return of Jesus Christ. Please understand that the same Bible is the one that brought you John 3.16. You say, I really believe John 3.16. Well, then you really need to believe the rapture. It's the same Bible that brought you Luke chapter 2 the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You say, I really believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I really believe in John 3, 16. Then you really ought to believe in the rapture of the church. It's the same Bible that brought you Matthew 28, the story of the empty tomb. Oh, I believe in the resurrection. I love Easter. Then you ought to love the return of Jesus Christ because the same book that brought you John three sixteen, the same book that brought you the virgin birth, the same book that brought you the cross, the same book that brought you the empty tomb, the same book that brought you the ascension of Jesus Christ, the same book brings you the rapture of the church. It's going to take place. If you're going to believe any of it, Believe all of it. As I say, believe it all or not at all. If some of it's worth believing, all of it's worth believing. The coming of Jesus Christ is imminent. The coming of Jesus Christ is immediate. Here's the third thing. The coming of Jesus Christ is infinite. Now here's what I mean by that. In verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. With the Lord, we have a forever place. As we watch the vapor of our lives slip away, there's a great calm and comfort in knowing that once this life is over, we enter the presence of God. There is no interruption of our time with the Lord, none whatsoever. We are forever with the Lord. That's a little hard to wrap our minds around, but it's the reality of an infinitely loving God who made a way for sinful man to be with him forever. That is the information of the return of Jesus Christ. It is imminent, it is immediate, it is infinite. Here's the second thing. I want you to see not only the information of Christ coming, but the inspiration of Christ coming. What does the promise of Christ coming do for you? What does it do uh, for me? Will you walk away from this service to and say, that was interesting. I really learned some things. I hope you do. I, I hope you learned some things. For some of you, you've heard this all of your lives. But, but it's, it's like the old, old story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. For some of you, you have heard this all of your life. But for some of you, it's brand new. And you might walk out and say, my goodness, that was interesting. I want to read more. And I hope you do read more. I want you to read more. But I want it to be more than just in, in, interesting. I want it to be inspiring. I want it to move you and me. Let's go back to our text again, and we're going to read this time the first part that we read from 1 Thessalonians 4, and then the last verse, verse 13, and then verse 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have, or who others do, who have no hope. And then verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, we began this series acknowledging that in the world around us there are plenty things, plenty of things to discourage us. A lot of things to discourage us. We we can be discouraged over the morality of our country. It'd be easy to be discouraged over the morality or the lack of morality in our country. We can be discouraged over the economy of our country. We've we've lived through a time where We've been told that things are getting better, but things never felt better. You could be discouraged over the economy. You could be discouraged over the world crisis of terrorism. That would discourage anybody to see what's going on and almost as though it's unabated and, and the, it has become so complicated now that, that it's, it's like the old Abbott and Luke Costello who's on first, I don't know, third base. You can't tell who's fighting who and why they're fighting who. Because it's just a a big ball of of just mess. And you could be discouraged over that. You could be discouraged over uh, the lack of attention to the needs of our nation. That's the lack of attention being paid by those who are supposed to be uh, paying attention. There are a lot of things that can discourage you if you'll fix on those things. This world is in trouble. It is in trouble honest to goodness, genuine, real trouble. We live in a troubled world. How then can we be inspired? How can we be inspired to carry on? How in the world can somebody like you and me say, look, I look around and and you're telling me that knowing that Jesus is coming is an inspiration? Absolutely it is. Let me tell you one, a couple of things. First of all, you should be inspired because it's His promise. Not my promise. Not the promise of some preacher. Not the promise of some writer other than the Word of God. Our text tells us to encourage one another with the words of the promise concerning Christ's words. We also have the words out of the very lips of Jesus in John 14, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Did, Did you know that those are words that we often read and hear at funeral services, and they comfort the fire out of us, and we say, oh, praise the Lord. Gone on to a better place. And that's a good thing, and that's a right thing. And I'll see them someday, and that's a good thing, and that's a right thing. All of that is good and right. But but here's what we often miss. That is also a promise to return and to come and get us. That is the promise of God that He is coming back. The knowledge that after this life there is a better one, the knowledge that Jesus may come for us in this life, the promise of seeing Him and our loved ones again, all of this is inspiration enough to keep us calm and keep us carrying on. Here's the second thing. Not only should we be inspired by His promise, but by His power. He's powerful enough to do it. Our God is powerful enough to come again. Our God is powerful enough to speak the word and, and dead bodies, wherever they may be, reunite alive and glorified in the air with the spirit that's gone to be with the Lord. He is powerful enough for that. So well, I don't think he can do it. He can do it. He is powerful enough. In John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Shake your head and say, what are we going to do? I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to read the back of the book and realize that we win. We win. Jesus has overcome the world. Yesterday was college football day. I've already alluded to that. Florida State. Played at eight o'clock last night, which is of the devil. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I remember when college teams played during the daylight and you never had a night game. I remember when Little League was never played on Wednesday night. I remember when travel ball never was invented. You certainly didn't leave your church on Sunday morning for travel ball. But anyway, I don't have any ax to grind. I just remember those things. (laughs) So Florida State last night played at at 8 o'clock. Every college football team has fans. And they have fans that never see defeat. They just can't imagine. By the way, if you don't know who that is, you ain't from around here. I don't know their names. They may not have names, but they're referred to as the Glitter Guys. Even when these football teams lose, they have fans who never see defeat. They, they, they can't lose in the eyes of some people. They can't lose because, and please don't amen this stuff that I'm about to say. They can't lose because they're the Tide, or they can't lose because they're the Tigers or they can't lose because they're the gators, or they can't lose because they're the knolls, or they can't lose because they're the dogs, or they can't lose because they're the Vols. They just can't lose. These fans are avid, over-the-top, you'll never get us to say uncle fans. And actually, that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool when fans are that faithful. Here's what I wish. I wish that we could find in our relationship to Christ that same level of commitment to our understanding. That Jesus within us is greater than any power and any opposition and any enemy and any discouragement and any circumstance that the world has to us. If you are a, a gator for life or you're a knoll forever, let me tell you something. You are a believer if you are for all of eternity and nothing can defeat that in you. There's not one thing that can because... We have God's power within us. It's an inspiration. We can be inspired by the truth of the second coming because of his promise and his power. Here's the third thing. That is the implication of Christ's coming. What does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is coming again? There's something to take from all of this. Here it is. First of all, readiness is critical. It's absolutely critical. What do you need to do to be ready for the coming of the Lord? Well, you've got to pay attention to two areas of your life. First of all is your conversion. Your conversion is critical to the coming of the Lord. That promise to meet the Lord in the air and that promise of the resurrected body and that promise that those are all promises to those who have been converted, to those who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus was not kidding when he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That was not a suggestion. You really ought to think about it. You really ought to consider it. A lot of people are deciding the trend is. No, no. He said, you must be born again. To be right with God and have assurance of being with the Lord after this life is over. Every person, every person on earth must come to a place in life where they turn from their own way or ways to heaven and trust Christ only. Everyone. If not, the consequences are devastating. Jesus said, but unless you repent, you are will all likewise perish. I wanna say this with the utmost love and the utmost respect. There is someone here, probably more than one, who is counting on something other than a saving faith in Jesus Christ to get you to heaven. There is someone here who's counting on something else. You cannot go to heaven, uh, you, you cannot get to heaven by any way other than by faith in Jesus Christ. That's just it. You can't. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And what is that name? That name is Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No, no one, comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven. No one goes into the presence of the Father but by me. Parents, you must believe this and lead your children to come to Jesus Christ. You must believe it. Young people and adults, it is a fact. Jesus and only Jesus saves. To be ready for Christ's coming, we must be converted, and then we must live our Christianity. Now let's go back to the first text that we read. This is how we're to live in light of Christ's coming. Titus 2, and again verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want the path of our lives to be such that the coming of Jesus Christ will find us living self-controlled, upright, godly lives. We want Jesus to come back finding us living the way that he expected us to live when he went away. That being said, there is a chilling reality. There's a reality about the coming of the Lord that does not lend itself to keeping calm. In fact, it's just the opposite. It is chilling. There's some of you today, maybe. Sitting in this room watching by way of of live stream, maybe listening by by podcast. There's, there's some of you, and you are disturbed by this. It doesn't comfort you, it disturbs you. Who would that be? Who would it be who is chilled by the promise of the return of Jesus Christ? I want to give you three, and then we're done. Number one, those people who are unaware. And I mean this, ready or not, Jesus is coming. He is coming. There is a lost world in need of the love of Christ. They do not know Jesus Christ. They do not know about Christ. And we, the ones who do know him, we're the ones who are to be sending the light, to get the word to them. Now, how is that done? It's done by giving. It's done by going. When we give to the Lord's work, and I I mean this, we ought to have a vision of what those dollars do. Those dollars do not just turn lights on. Those dollars do not just uh, uh, keep the grass cut. Those dollars are, are dollars that send the light, literally supporting missions across the street and around the world, informing those who are unaware of the return of Jesus Christ. Those who are are chilled by the idea of the return oftentimes of the people that are unaware. Secondly, the people who are unprepared. They intended to prepare someday, but for now, they remain uncommitted. They remain unsaved. And they remain unfit for the kingdom of God. For the unprepared, the return of Christ is chilling. And then finally, there are those who are just simply unbelieving. Unbelieving. They just don't believe. There are a lot of people like that. I think it would be safe to say that most of the world is that way. It it used to be that you could say most of America, that we are a believing nation, but I think we're mostly an unbelieving nation. I just don't think that we believe. So many in the world know and have known for a while, but for them it's just a matter of they're not going to believe. I just don't. I just won't believe. I have someone who is kin to me who is just like that. I mean, absolutely knows beyond the shadow of a doubt what God expects in order for a person to go to heaven and just will not believe. A lot of things that are sad about that, but the is painted clearest by Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus gives us some insight as to how people reach this place of non-belief. In Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many uh, mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I want to ask a question. I'm going to ask it, and I want you to think about it and consider whether or not your answer is yes or no. Some will want to give a different answer, but it's a yes or no. Are you a believer? Are you a born-again believer? Pastor Ray, I go to church. But are you a believer? I was raised in a Christian home. I've always been in church. There's never been a time that I wasn't in church but are you a believer? I've always tried to live a good life. I don't think I'm as bad as other people. In fact, I don't think I'm all that bad. But the question is, are you a believer? I want you to keep calm, but if you have never come to Jesus Christ and offered to Him that you're a sinner in need of salvation, that should disturb you. And it is eternally fatal if you do not remedy that. We can't see it because it's often too difficult to see with the naked eye. But if you go to the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and you look up inside of the dome of Washington in Washington, D.C., it says, one God one law, one element, and one far-off divine event to which the whole creation moves. That is in the capital dome of the United States of America. And do you know what that's saying? Keep calm. Jesus is